0: What we're going to try and do this afternoon um, is, as it were, raise a little of the curtain on the extraordinary uh, and deeply moving piece that you're going to see later this evening. And I thought I might begin by reminding ourselves that 30 years ago, perhaps even 10 years ago, only a handful of people would have known the name Mishlav Weinberg, born 1919, died in 1996. Really, we owe a great debt to David Pountney, who uh, produced the first version of The passage. I shall come back to that, and also produced the portrait for, England for Opera North uh, last year in bringing Weinberg to our attention, certainly in England. He was a Polish Jew who fled to Russia at the beginning of the Second World War, leaving behind him in Warsaw his father, who was a composer and conductor at the Yiddish Theatre in Warsaw, his mother and a sister. And, alas, all three would eventually perish in a concentration camp in Poland during the Second World War. Weinberg himself settled in Minsk where he studied uh, composition for the very first time having studied music as a performer uh, in Warsaw before at the Minsk Conservatoire and when the Germans invaded uh, Operation Barbarossa, uh, he along with others from the Conservatoire at Minsk were evacuated to Tashkent in Central Asia. Someone else was in Tashkent at that time, and that was, of course, Dmitri Shostakovich, who was enormously impressed by Weinberg, his music, and became uh, Weinberg's close friend. It's clear that this meeting and this relationship had a profound effect upon Weinberg. Uh, He would say later, It was as if I had been born anew when I met Shostakovich. In 1943, he moved at Shostakovich's urging to Moscow itself. And there, in a sense, effectively this composer goes into a kind of second exile in that the Soviet music establishment tends to reject the music that he writes. And he writes an enormous amount of music, 22 symphonies, and other works for orchestra, 17 string quartets, eight violin sonatas, 24 preludes for cello, six cello sonatas, six piano sonatas, as well as other instrumental works. He also writes the music for 40 films, uh, both live action and animated films, including one that some of you may know, The Cranes Are Flying, which of course won the first prize, the Palme d'Or, at the Cannes Film Festival in 1958. He also wrote, in this time, a total of seven operas, including The Portrait, which, as I've said, was staged by David Pantney uh, in uh, Leeds for Opera North last year. However, he considered, Weinberg, that The Passenger, which was written in 1967 and 1968, was the most important work he'd ever written. Alas, the Soviet authorities were not of the same mind. This opera was never staged in his lifetime and it indeed received its first ever staging last year in Bregenz and the images that we're looking at on the screen are from that first production uh, in Bregenz it was directed there by David Pantney, who told me about how he first uh, heard about uh, Weinberg that the score for the passenger was sent to him and a man who receives scores by large Parcelful, looked briefly and was about to put it into the bin beside his desk when he just noticed one word, Auschwitz. And that caught his imagination in all sorts of dark and interesting ways. And he picked up the score and was convinced that what he'd seen and was, had read was a masterpiece and it had to be done. Um, it is the same production that was at Bregenz that you're going to see here at uh, English National Opera this evening, produced for the company here. The libretto is based on uh, a book, a biography by a survivor of the camp at Auschwitz, uh, a Polish woman, Zofia Posmisch, a grim and complex account of her time in the camp. The opera itself is largely told from the perspective of Lisa, who was an SS officer in the camp with special responsibility for the women there. Now the war is over when the opera begins and Lisa is on her way to South America on an ocean liner with her husband, a diplomat, taking up a major post as an ambassador, we presume, in Latin America. On the deck one morning, she thinks she sees a woman called Marta, a woman she had known, uh, a woman she had tried to befriend, a woman she had also punished, in, in a way, in the camp at Auschwitz. And this sighting of a woman, veiled, nonetheless brings the whole of her recent past coming back to her. And the opera now moves between the deck and indeed the cabin where uh, Lisa and her husband are living on their voyage and Auschwitz itself, the camp from the 1940s. In the work, musically, Weinberg quotes from Russian and Polish sacred music, jazz, Johann Strauss and Bach. It's an extraordinary eclectic score. And some people, if you've been reading reviews, have suggested we might also hear Benjamin Britten, if not Peter Grimes, somewhere in this piece too. Well, this evening, to try and shed some light, to expand our understanding of the piece, we're joined by a number of guests. We're going to be joined by Sonia... Ben Santamaria, who's a member of the English National Opera Music staff, and the soprano Susan Young, and they're going to perform two pieces of music from the opera. And we're also joined by the Associate Director on The Passenger, Rob Kearley, who's going to talk about the production and working as David Pountney's Associate Director. So could you begin, perhaps, please, by welcoming Rob Kearley? I'd like to ask you first, what exactly does the associate director do?
1: <laughs> That's a very good question. Um, well, I was, I was the assistant on the original uh, production last year in Bregenz, um, but... One tends to get the uh, grand title of associate when uh, there is added responsibility in a revival. So, for example, for this revival, as you can imagine, David is currently running both Brogan's Festival and now WNO, extremely busy man. So if he has an associate he can trust to put the production back together and get it on its feet um, and oversee the, the, the whole process, then it's, it's a great help to him to then be able to come in and we can really utilise what little time he has to focus the production and uh, and polish it.
0: What's the story that that, that he told me, which was at the time of The Passenger, uh, about how he came across this opera true? Did it actually happen that he was just sleeping through scores he'd been sent to? As
1: far as I gather, yes, yes. And he didn't think it was promising at all until just the right thing caught his attention.
0: And and what was it like in Bregenz, we're looking at the images of that production now on the screen, what was it like putting that piece together there for the first time? And in a sense, fulfilling... Something that had been close to Weinberg's and his librettist's heart both had longed for this piece to be done
1: it was a very interesting journey because of course you with any any new opera or opera that you that hasn 't been yet staged you're you're feeling your way gently but also with this one everybody both on the original production and here at enO feels an incredible weight of, of responsibility to get it right um, and when the, the, the person who the story is about is living and is coming to see it, it's it's a very unusual kind of pressure. Um, and I think the genius thing with David was the... ..the level which he pitched rehearsals, that this could so easily have become so deep and difficult um, that actually we might never have got through it or we might have destroyed something very valuable in the process. by By going too deep into this, this, this horrendous world. Um, I mean, I, I likened it with the cast here as, as a little bit like lowering yourself into a scalding hot bath. If you jump straight in, you're going to get hurt and it's going to have damage. But if you lower yourself gently into this subject and gently into this production, then by the time we're in front of a public, you're going to be thoroughly immersed. But actually to do that on week one is, is, is not helpful. So, yes, I mean, it sounds an awful thing to say, but we had a lot of fun in both places um, putting on the piece, a lot of fun finding out these characters and the dynamics between them. But it was also almost like an anti-experience of putting on opera, in that normally the kind of performances we're looking for and trying to develop out of performers are full of energy, they're full of clear thought, they're full of, of very clear storytelling. Now, of course... When most of our characters are prisoners in Auschwitz, there would be something obscene about a highly energetic production that where everything seemed to follow in, in a neat, formulaic story way. It just can't be that. So to find a new style, of, particularly for those characters, of presenting this story, of acting, of, of inhabiting those characters, um, was a real challenge I, mean, I think you'll see the, the two Auschwitz scenes the two barrack scenes which are both 35 and 25 minutes long I think um, it was a real challenge for the ladies to, to, to get that right and get the flow right and get something which doesn't feel long but nonetheless has the right energy about it that right sense of timelessness and that's what Weinberg I think is amazing about creating this sense of timelessness
0: I've always thought that a shared production, um, uh, uh, in a shared production, the advantage is always with the second, second part of the, <laughs> because there's a real chance to think again, uh, and to, th- and I wonder what kind of things you felt you were able to look at again, in the passenger bringing it here to the Coliseum.
1: I think certainly, I learnt from from. Uh, the initial production having developed I mean, I mean David set it up of course but but l- allowing those singers to find those characters then makes my job a lot easier in coming to revive it. Of, I have I've a wealth, to, to wealth of other people's experience to draw on in that. I think the, the most important thing was having the confidence with it that when a, when a piece is new and you're not really sure until you roll it out in front of an audience whether the pacing is going to work, whether the highs and lows are really going to have impact, whether the characters read really well. Um, when you come to a revival, you're confident that that absolutely is the case.
0: And a different conductor.
1: Indeed, yeah. A, and therefore a different view, presumably, of the score. A very different view of the score. And that initially it can be quite difficult to, to get your head around, when you've been used to one particular way. And uh, Theodor as the original conductor, was, was a very theatrical conductor, took a lot of liberties with the score in, in some ways, in, in terms of its literal um, way it's literally written down. Richard Armstrong was much more um, dedicated to following exactly what was in the score and trusting Weinberg's sense of pacing. Both approaches worked tremendously well, I have to say. Um, uh, the sense of theatrical theatricality from Corensis was, uh, was extremely exciting. Um, from Richard, there's a wonderful detail and, and colour and, um, and sensitivity.
0: How do you and David Pantney work together on a project like this when you arrive here at the Coliseum? Who does what?
1: Well, in in the case of uh, this revival, I took all of the rehearsals in the rehearsal room uh, and David arrived for the final rehearsal room run. So he saw it as a as a working body, not finished, but working. Uh, and then we brought the piece onto stage. Um, he, of course, had, had a few very acute notes after that run through to give people. We then brought the piece on stage and, and I sort of... Lead the stage rehearsals in terms of of the the mechanics of them and getting through stuff, and then David keeps pitching in with with those those very necessary tweaks.
0: But presumably he must trust you sufficiently and also enjoy the thought that you may have changed things in the process. And 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 there's a kind of difference between a sensible note that helps clarify something and a note that says. That's wrong. <laughs> and I wonder how that bit of the relationship works.
1: Well, we didn't have too many of those, I'm very glad to say. Um, there was a couple of little changes that I made, largely because you want a new set of performers to, uh, t- to own it for themselves. And you have to be careful in a revival that people don't feel they're just being told to go there and stand there and do this for... for just because somebody else did. Uh, and actually, if you, if you can direct it as if you're directing it anew and try to get them to make the same decisions that uh, were in the original production, then that that's the key. So there were some changes, just because they were there were the things that weren't sitting with this cast. Um, sometimes I changed things knowing that we would change them back, but just to give them a new way in, and then you can twist it back later on. Um,
0: can you think of one thing that... that, 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 that that you liked, that you were able to change, that, that, that worked in a different kind of way?
1: Uh, I think n- not specifically one thing that I changed, but something that we were able to address with this revival, and that was um, the role of the fight director and the way uh, the, the dramatic scenes in the opera were used. In the original production, they were fine, but they, we... we they happened rather quickly. Um, some performers were not as able as they are here. Um, our, our four SS extras in Bregenz were, were young guys who were, who were sort of earning peanuts to be there for extras. Here we've been able to cast real professional actors with, with great um, stage fighting experience. So we were able to take those sort of elements much further, and that's very satisfying to see.
0: We know that the singers, increasingly, like any great actor, spend time researching, thinking about what they're going to do in the subject area before. I, I just wonder, here is a subject of such um, extraordinary dimensions, morally and indeed in terms of the record. How do you help a singer, preparing for one of these, these parts, how do you help them think about how they ought to begin to research this subject?
1: Well, I must say that by the time I, I get here, they've, they've mostly done that um, for themselves. Um, I mean, for example, Giselle Allen, who's playing Marta, made her own trip to Auschwitz and, and tried to soak up as much of, of, of that atmosphere and reality as she possibly could. Um, I certainly encourage them not to watch the video of the last production, unless there's certain things that we're having problems with, but to discover the production for themselves. Um, if there are links with real characters, I think those are useful to point out and to explore a little bit. But again, we're, we're, we're not giving impressions. We're, we're having to find our own way of giving these characters. So actually, I think it's more about developing their own approach.
0: Rob, well, we're going to talk uh, a little later at the end of, of, of this afternoon uh, about some of the specifics of the opera itself. In the meantime, thank you very much indeed. Um, and we're going to hear, ladies and gentlemen, some of the music. Um, we're joined now by Susan Young, who covers the role of Katia, um, and also with her, Sonia ben Santamaria, who is uh, going to play, who is a member of the English National Music Society. Will you therefore welcome, please, Sonia and Susan. Susan's going to sing um, an unaccompanied folk song from the opera, which comes in Act Two, to begin with.
2: What could I sing? An old folk song Maybe this one I don't remember anymore.
3: It's forgotten, all forgotten.
0: Um. (laughs) Susan, tell us a bit about Katya, who is she?
3: Katya comes from Smolensk and she's a teacher and she says that very clearly in the in the first act Thanks, and um, Also her entry is very uh, brutal Uh, and she's carrying a note which is from the resistance and the link with Marta is made very strongly because Marta covers it up and pretends it's a, a love letter from her fiancé and s- saves Katia's life straight away. So, yes, she's, she's got courage and uh, she's uh, got quite a lot of dignity and soul about her, I think.
0: That, that letter establishes this extraordinary close relationship between Marta uh, and, and Katia.
3: Yes, right. absolutely, absolutely
0: in some ways it's almost the the, the 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 most the closest the most intimate of all the relationships including that between Marta and her, and her fiance too isn't it in a way
3: it's really interesting that the first time you see uh Katya and Marta inter- interact you uh, you get the impression that Marta is looking after Katya but the next time you see them interact Katya gives Marta a warning she warns her about Lisa And she says that she's clever because uh, she lets other people do the killing. Now, this tells us something quite important about Lisa, and she also is the link because Tadeusz is the person who sent the letter. So, yes, it's a profound little triangle.
0: To to what extent do you think that the little folk song which you've just sung, and I I had forgotten that, of course, she suddenly tells us she can't remember the rest, Mm. another fragment in this world where nothing is ever whole for obvious reasons, but to what extent do you think this folk song is actually at the emotional heart of the opera?
3: Gosh, I don't know if it's at the heart. I think that's for people to to decide, but it's uh, certainly an arresting moment. Not just as the performer sitting on the Colosseum stage, um, but also just uh, just the Russianness of it, the actual meaning of the words, describing the landscape, and saying that the sun comes up again, but it doesn't come up in the, as it did in the summer, and the lover, her lover, katya's lover, doesn't love her as he did before.
0: How how, how demanding is the role of Katya uh, vocally? I mean, is this, is this difficult writing?
3: It's difficult musically. It's difficult remembering the the gaps, <laughs> remembering the rests, as well as remembering the notes, and obviously remembering the Russian. Um, yes, it's, it, but it's a great demand.
0: Let me ask Sonia and then Santa Maria about the music. How do you prepare the singers for this music?
4: Um. We look at their their melody, try to not try to not play the orchestra part straight away in case, they, in case they get put off. so you help them as much as possible, then you put a bit more for the orchestra, give them the cues, which is the, the keynotes that help them. So you have to sing the other part that if it's a dialogue, I'll sing the other part to help her, and then I gradually add more and more and more piano so by the time i play the whole thing they're very secure and they feel fine and sometime if time allows um, i'll try to to play against them to see how secure they are so and by that stage they're fine (laughs) (laughs) they <laughs> <off>. <laughs>
0: but sometimes they're pretty exposed. I mean, the, 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 uh, the, 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 the orchestral support you know, yeah. often, is often entirely different from, obviously, their, their, their vocal line, but also is much lighter than one might expect in a kind of grand uh, yeah. 19th-century or early 20th-century opera. Yeah,
4: yeah. But I think that's where um, Weinberg is understands so well voices, and as well, he wrote The Passenger in such an operatic way that... There is a bit of resets, like dialogues, resets, then Aria, then Ansible, even use choruses. So even when you feel they're exposed, it's such a melodic uh, music underneath them. They actually feel safe. I believe they feel safe. And it's like they're really used to resets. In any Mozart, you only have one chord of harpsichord, and then they're on their own for a whole page. So with the experience and such a beautiful way to write melody underneath i think they feel safe
0: it's a pretty rare opera that has virtually all the major parts for for women's voices too isn't it yeah. i mean apart from uh, maybe the carmelite and the pool yeah. like, i can't think of another opera where that's right they're women's voices
3: so angelica,
0: so angelica yes mm-hmm. yes ah. Um, Also, the music itself is is an extraordinarily eclectic mixture of things. I mean, I said the Shostakovich is like Yes, absolutely. Does this mean it's a series of quotations, or do you think that Weinberg, in the end, creates something that is unmistakably Weinbergian, something that belongs to him?
4: Well, I think it's extremely clever, and uh, to me, it shows how much he thinks of the drama and the whole theatre aspect of it by using a bit of jazz, a bit of Bach, a bit of everything. And that's, that's how I think it, it links quite well to Britain and Prokofiev and Shostakovich by painting so many scenes and daring to mix styles. And... It's great, I
0: think it's great. Right. <laughs> Susan, what are you going to sing with Sonia next, Ah,
4: uh, This is uh,
3: Marta. This is her main... Uh aria in, if you like, the the main sort of standout section in the second act.
2: If the Lord God spoke to me It's what if god is
0: they're going to co- coax Susan on your back again in a moment at the end when we have some questions at the end, but I think they deserve to, to relax and rest for a moment now, after that. Um, and I'm going to go on talking, if I now may, to, 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 to Rob. Rob, the puzzle about The Passenger for me immediately is why, why the Soviet Union should not have wanted or not even allowed this, this, this piece to be performed in his lifetime. Can you think of an obvious explanation?
1: I've, I've heard of a couple. Um... And both seem to be credible. Firstly, that the the subject matter was distasteful to them, um, uh, the fact that it centred on Auschwitz, where e- even though this particular story isn't centred on the Jewish character, that, that they didn't want to really bring up all of this. Um, also, Zofia Posmich, the, the the writer, got a lot of um, criticism for the main German character coming across as sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the 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 um, uh, the the mix of those two things gave gave the Soviets uh, a feel that they didn't really like. But also, I think I think also he was regarded um, Weinberg was regarded as old fashioned. There wasn't much interest in putting this piece on in in the late sixties when he was he was trying to get interest in it.
0: But in a sense, shocking though it is, what makes the piece so remarkably sure-footed dramatically is precisely that Lisa, the former SS guard, indeed appears, to some extent, quite reasonable in how she explains what she did.
1: Absolutely, Uh, and I think it's a very brave move from somebody who was in Auschwitz to turn it on its head and look at the story from another angle. and she has had a lot of criticism. The, 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 the production has had criticism of that as well. But I think if you if you follow carefully the libretto, it's a it's a, a very balanced way of looking at that character and the way that the way those sort of characters must have tried to justify mm-hmm. what happened, had tried to live with what happened to them in the war. And of course, some of them were as much victims. It could be argued. Um, I mean, there are, there are little clues into the libretto as to whether what Annalisa Front says about herself is true or not, I think. Um, so it's a very interesting... There's no clear answer at the end of it, and I think that's, that's what is so strong, because there are no clear answers. We've just got to keep looking at it, keep talking.
0: And what also is fascinating in terms of the drama is her husband, the um, ambassador on his way to Latin America, appears to forgive her. But, of course, he too, and the opera never does other than hint of it, has a past, not a past that we think of, but he too has a German history to live with too.
1: Absolutely, and he tells us nothing about it, and he tells her nothing about it as well. He, he, he in fact, gives nothing away whilst dealing with her, 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 um, her confessions. Um, uh, I mean, David's view is very much that he's the baddie of the piece. There's, there's, a, there's certainly a history there that... that could be another act.
0: <laughs> well, what Weinberg's opera also reminds us that, is that Auschwitz, in terms of those who perished there, those who were murdered, uh, had amongst its victims, obviously, a predominant number of Jews, but others too. So, so that we have all all nations somehow meet at this place of hell, don't they?
1: Absolutely. In the first first barracks scene, that's made very clear. We, we have people from all over the world. Wider continental Europe there and, and our main characters are from Poland. They're from France. They're from uh, Czechoslovakia. They're from um, they're, they're Jewish. They're, they're Christian. They're political dissidents they're, They are everybody and, and again I think that that is a huge strength that it doesn't really Focus on one particular angle of the story all of them are valid
0: And I and, and in the end as I left I had a feeling that this is perhaps less an opera about what happened at a place called Auschwitz or Auschwitz, but more about how we and the characters in this piece try to deal with the past that came out of that place. So it becomes an extended meditation on dealing with the past in a way too. With history.
1: Indeed, and I think that is very much Sophia Posmich's aim with the book and, with, uh, and in continuing to support the opera. That, uh, and, and it comes across very clearly in the epilogue um, the, 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 um, the phrase, do not forget. We mustn't forget that if we forget, we as a, as, as a human race are lost. Um, and of course, there's the other question there of do we forgive? Yeah. Um, And Zafia Pozmich herself is a very dedicated Catholic and has forgiven, but don't forget.
0: Also, within it... The, the piece is the idea of what is the role of art? What can art do? And we know that many people immediately after the revelations of the Holocaust became common knowledge felt there could be no art, that, that after Auschwitz there that, that could be no art. I mean, that's clearly not actually true. But, but the piece invites us to think about what art has to be. And I, I'm not going to give away the kind of key moment within the opera where this happens, but it does invite us to think about the, r- the relationship between art and this place, doesn't it?
1: Well, indeed, and and I think that also also bringing that down to its smallest germ. Um the fact that the human spirit, even in these situations, struggles to find and create beauty—that that we see one of the characters making a small medallion, and in fact, Posmich wears a medallion made by, made co- covertly by one of the prisoners—and and there, there are a number of number of um, museums where one can see the objects that prisoners made in that search to, to to go within themselves and find that human sense of beauty, even when what they were surrounded by and what they were experiencing from moment to moment was mm. was completely the reverse.
0: On the screen at the moment, we're looking... At, it's Act Two, but we're looking at the, the set at the top of, of, of the stage that represents the ocean liner. Um, the characters are dressed in white, uh, and one thinks naturalistically white, white for an ocean voyage. One also thinks of the notion of whited sepulchres and perhaps other things too. Um, there's a moment of almost physical shock, I think, in this production, when, uh, for the first time, we descend from the white, perfect deck down to the dark, black hell below. Um, and, and I wonder how carefully the design of the piece had been, had been thought through from the very beginning, that this effect was absolutely what you wanted.
1: Uh, extremely carefully. Um, uh, I mean, the idea for this two-tier set is actually in the libretto, in that the, the, the librettist talks about A Ship Above, and Auschwitz below, and a staircase connecting the two. Um, uh, What what Johann Engels has gone for here is is this very white, dreamy, scrubbed, clean, if you're too clean world above, and then going down to uh, a sepia world, actually, of Auschwitz. The colours are not realistic. It's all very sepia. But he was very keen to get even the smallest details right, and uh, he he told me that... (coughs) Um, David and he and uh, marie jean Lecker, the costume designer, all went to Auschwitz with Xavier Posmich and she showed them around. She showed them her bunk. She showed them uh, uh, her walk to work every morning. All of these little details. And he was really keen that she would be able to recognise the brickwork in Auschwitz. She would be able to recognise the reality of those textures, of those, of those surfaces, of, of that form, if you like. And the first time she saw the set and saw the brickwork, she was very moved. And I think that, that attention to detail is, is what makes this such a, a successful set. It's not, a, lit, it's not a, a completely literal set. It's a beautiful set, but it's also a set that has tremendous dramatic and emotional impact.
0: And the whole of The World of Auschwitz is set on, on what perhaps has become the single most potent Image associated with the Holocaust in all its senses, which is the railway line, the railway line that goes nowhere, that just ends. It ends, of course, in 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 the the gas chambers. Uh, 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 Was the railway line idea there from the beginning too?
1: I believe so. I mean, I think when you see the pictures of Auschwitz, as you say, it's 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 they are so prominent that that great long stretch leading into the camp. that, yeah, I, th- I think that, that was a fairly early, uh, early component in the design process.
0: There's a, there's a final question that I'm sure everybody who sees this piece will ask themselves, which is whether you can indeed make an opera out of this subject. You obviously have no doubt.
1: No, I don't. I, I, understand, I understand the argument. Um, and it, it is an extremely difficult subject to tackle and I think the only way of tackling it is the way that Zavia Posmich did tackle it which was by telling the story and again Johan talks to the fact that we all know what happened in Auschwitz we don't need to show that on stage in fact we can't show that on stage it's not it wouldn't be effective it would be obscene but we can tell the story we can we can as as Posmich says keep remembering keep, keep keep talking about it keep keep going there Thank you very much, Rob.
0: Should we ask Sonia and Susan to rejoin us? And, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask questions, um, please put your hands up. We now have um, a roving microphone, two roving microphones, so we can hear you. So put your hand up if you'd like to ask questions, wait for the microphone to come and then speak into it. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. Can I ask a couple of questions around language, please? I mean, Obviously, this is the year in O, so we got most of it in English, but... um, Postage's book was in Polish. The film was in Polish. Um, I don't know what I mean. Did Weinberg get good Russian eventually? And is this libretto in Russian or in a mixture of languages? Um, yeah. Well, that's enough. to do a Question.
0: Rob, I think that's a question
1: for you. Yes. The, the, well, the libretto of the opera was written in Russian. Um, when we came to do this production in Bregenz uh, David took the decision to put it into a multi-language format. So the Germans spoke German. The French spoke French. Um, the Polish spoke Polish. So it, it, it made it a, a very interesting world. And of course, that added something fantastic into the mix, as, again, of you get these people, as we said, coming from all over Europe, speaking their own language, having to find a way to communicate. Uh, and I think that was very powerful. Um, here in the colley of course, we, we've, the House policy is to, is to approach it in English. Um, it's just the one moment that the Russian folk song, that David felt we needed. That the content of the words was less important than the sense of language and and the, the genuine feel of the Russian language there.
4: We get the French, the French
1: lesson. Oh, we get the French as well. But yes. A <laughs> French lesson in French. Now I don't know. Somebody was looking. I into try this, to.
3: I uh, tried to find that out as well. I I'm not absolutely sure. Um, <laughs> when I spoke to the Russian coach about it, and I said, so is this a genuine Russian folk song? She said, "Uh, do you know how many folk songs there are in (laughs) Russian?
0: But it sounds sounds genuine, and that, in a sense, perhaps is how it functions. Another question, another question.
1: Yes, in the front row. The librettist was alive until, I think, just before the premiere last year. So we were hoping that he was going to be coming to see it, but unfortunately he died. I, I, it, was, it was very, very close. There's, there's a very
0: touching story. Apparently both Weinberg and the librettist promised each other that they would not die before one or both had seen this. Mm-hmm. And the, the sadness about the librettist was he died literally before the first performances in Bregenz. So we, as someone said in one of the reviews, we are seeing this opera for both those men. Now, another question. Who would like to ask another question? Yes, in the front row. Wait till the microphone finds its way to you. Thank
1: you. You mentioned the Cranes are Flying, which was very patriotic. It was very much Mother Russia
0: and the patriotic war. How did Weinberg get involved with that, with the music? Well, the, the answer I would have to give you would be a very general answer, but, but, but virtually the only way you survived or one way of surviving as a composer in the Soviet Union through both the Second World War and the period after was to compose for the cinema. And Shostakovich, Prokofiev, both composed for the cinema too. So it's a way of earning a living. And you could say that it gives you the opportunity, therefore, to write the music you would wish to write yourself. On the other hand, we should remember that Josh himself says that he got great pleasure writing for the the cinema. We should be wary of thinking this is kind of hack work. And we know it isn't necessarily like that. So one might imagine, imagine, that the same would be true for Weinberg. He wrote an awful lot of films, and he also chose to write animated as well as live-action films, which suggests there must have been some element of pleasure. Another question.
5: The Holocaust seems to defy the laws of memory. Uh, as it recedes, it gets bigger. We inhabit the little volcanic dust cloud. I thought your comment, Robert, that um, we can't show Auschwitz, but we can keep talking about it is, hits the nail on the head. We have an obligation to keep talking about it. I don't know how many people in the audience. This is less in the nature of a question than a comment and a thank you to the ENO and to you for putting on this production. I don't know how many people in the audience are seeing this before uh, attending this event, before they see the uh, production or afterwards. I had the privilege of seeing it on uh, Monday evening. Having returned from Austria, where less than 24 hours earlier, uh, I'd been interviewing old soldiers, among them an old SS man, uh, in the town where Hitler's parents are buried, where there are fresh flowers and candles on the grave. And um, I found the production aesthetically rewarding uh, intellectually challenging and emotionally shattering and I just want to say thank you very much indeed Thank you for that I think that's perhaps an important
0: point where we might (coughs) at least end what is the beginning for most of us I hope of the evening which is a sense of the need to remember and not forget Ladies and gentlemen some thank yous Thank you to our trio of guests who have given up their time (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thank you To all of you for being here, for asking questions, and for being wonderfully attentive through our conversations. Um, Can I just say that underneath your bottoms, you may well find um, a little leaflet that will tell you not only about what English National Opera are doing, but also more of these events, these pre performance events. And uh, you are very welcome, and we like to see as many of you regularly here as is possible. Thank you all very much indeed.